So I, I uh, was debating all morning if I was going to be preaching my sermon or not today or just hanging out with you guys and just talking more about Uganda, sharing stuff. But we started singing um, How He Loves Us. You know, I just, like, yeah, I, I think I do need to share this message because people, people have a way of messing up the gospel message. You know, it's filtered, just like we're, we're filtering it through, I was mentioning people disqualifying ourselves for the love of God. We have a way of filtering our be, uh, the, the gospel through our behavior, through things. And most of us, if not all of us, were raised in a church that had either uh, 70% law and 30% grace, or they had 80-20, or they had some kind of mixture, or it was really more than the other. And you know, the, the, it isn't biblical. A mixture of law and grace is not biblical. It's humanistic, it's fleshy, it's, it might feel good, and most of us grew up under the law. We just, we've heard the law, you have to be good enough, and if you do enough good things, you're going to make it to heaven. And I remember years ago, we were in Israel, uh, David Mark and myself and John Stevenson were in Israel, and uh, th- this American man was there, and he said, if someone tells you that you are not under the law, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. And I had to bite my tongue, because I had been studying a lot that year and the year before that about what the Bible actually says, not what man says, what does the Bible say about this? And so I didn't say anything, but I was thinking, well, that man doesn't know what he's talking about. So he can think that I don't, and I'll think that he doesn't. I still love the guy. We actually support his ministry. He's a good man, but that's what he believes, and he lives in Israel, and uh, our church supports that ministry to Israel uh, monthly, but uh, this is the guy who said it, and, uh, but these type of uh, statements have been debated for centuries, and people haven't really got the concept of that you are not under the law. And I'm going to show you that in the Bible and why it's important, because it affects how we pray, it affects how we receive the love of God, it affects how we give, it affects everything about our life. If you're not good enough, how are you going to get good enough? you got to work harder. you got to try harder. If you just do a little bit more, then you're going to be, no, you can't do anything more. Jesus already did it all for you. So I want to show you from the, this is not Pastor Ryan's opinion. I'm going to show you scripture after scripture after scripture. I don't even have to interpret this stuff because it's so blatantly obvious to me anyway that this is what God said. And at the end, I believe you'll be blessed to know when you pray, you are righteous by faith in what Jesus did for you, not by because we're going to Uganda, not because we're digging wells, not because you teach Sunday school, not because you preach or teach or nothing you could do would ever earn your way to heaven. It's through, it's through Christ. So even here in, in you know, the high country, if we went from different churches and asked the question, are you under the law or are you not under the law? I'd say, I don't know if it'd be 50-50 or what, but there'd be a bunch that would say, yes, we are, and there'd be a bunch that say, no, we weren't, and a bunch that I, wouldn't, I would guess that wouldn't have a clue, just to be honest with you. Um, that's just my experience. I don't mean as a judgment but by my experience. But over the next several weeks, minus a couple weeks, I'll, I'll be gone. I'll have some more message on this when I get back. But um, we're going to go over th- questions about the law, what it really is saying. Do, I want to make into this first before I jump into this too far. Next Sunday, while we're gone, Aaron, and Ju- Aaron will be speaking, and maybe Aaron and Julie. I don't know if they're doing a tag team yet or not. You're not sure yet? So it will be one or both of them will be sharing next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, my wife Holly will be sharing with you guys. She hasn't shared here in years. And I was feeling that in my heart that she needed to share something. If you don't know her, really well. She is an amazing person. I mean, I'm biased, but like I'm with her more than anybody, and she is an amazing person. I mean, she just, like she, 
What you see here, this isn't a facade. She's not being fake. She's like that at the house, and it used to annoy me when I was, <laughs> when I was, when I was legalistic and under the law and trying to be good enough, and she's walking around the house whistling and having a happy heart. It would annoy me because my heart didn't feel happy. My heart felt heavy because I wasn't good enough. And she's all, I'm thinking, I'm making up all these excuses why she's happy and why I'm not. You know what it was? I was frustrating the grace of God by not just receiving it. It really was. And I mean, if you can relate to that, receive it, praise God. But um, yeah, she'll be speaking in a few weeks. But I want to, next, extra weeks, we sharing about when the law was given, who was the law given to, who was the law intended for, were the Gentiles ever required to be under the law, what does the law say about, what does it say with the law in the New Testament, why was the law given, what was the purpose of the law, how did Jesus fulfill the law, did Jesus come to abolish the law in the right way to use the law? We're going to look at all those different things and break it down for you over probably three, four weeks and just show you because this is something you have to know because most of the church world doesn't know this. I really th didn't think it was that big of a revelation because it seems so obvious to me once I really started studying it. But when I talked to other pastors and people, they don't know. And this happened like thousands of years ago. So this is really important to understand. So first, I want to look at when the law was given. It's important to know that the law was not given to Adam and Eve, okay? The law was not given to Abel, to Enoch, to Noah, or even to Abraham. The law was not given until roughly 2,500 years after the fall in the garden with Adam and Eve. So if the law made somebody righteous, how did they become righteous for 2,500 years? How did they become in right standing with God for 2,500 years if the law didn't even exist until Moses' day? I'm going to show you that later. I'm going back to that question later. But the Bible says in John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen? So um, I'll, show you, I'll show you how those people I mentioned and other people in the Old Testament, how did they become righteous? I'll show you that at the end of the message. But second, who was the law given to? We just saw the law was, law was given through Moses. But Malachi 4.4 says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant. Even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel. So it was given to Moses, it was for all of Israel. That's who it was for. It was for them. Okay? The law was never intended for the Gentiles. Okay? Never. You cannot find one verse in the New Testament that shows Gentiles were ever intended to be under the law. Not one. There is not one. There is zero. Okay? Now, if you read Acts 15, it, uh, it clearly shows the, the heart of God for the Gentiles. And uh, what happened, a dispute broke out. Some Pharisees got saved, and they wanted to put the, uh, the new, new Christians, they wanted to put them under the law and wanted them to become circumcised. This dispute broke out, and they had this big meeting in, in Jerusalem, and they, they debated this. I'll show you this in Acts 15.5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, so now believers, rose up saying, it is necessary to, to circumcise them, and to command them to keep the laws of Moses. So they were Pharisees that were not believers, but they still had a lot of Pharisaical stuff still in them. And that happens to every one of us after we're saved. We still have some Pharisaical kind of stuff we have to work out of ourselves. Because we, in this world, you get what you pay for. You get things through works. You work hard. You get, you, it's, it's kind of a work system on this planet. But that's not the, the, the system of heaven. That's not the system of Jesus, Okay. So they, these Pharisees and the uh, disciples were 
face this new challenge of how do we disciple these new Gentiles that are being saved? This has never happened before. How do we disciple them? How do we train them? So they had this big uh, meeting, and they met in Jerusalem for this, and they had this uh, heated discussion. I'll show you this to figure this out, because some of them are saying, no, they don't. Some are saying, yes, they do, just like today, right? Let me show you this in Acts 15, 6 through 11. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, and when, they, when there had been much dispute, okay, it took a while, they were arguing, there was much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith, not works, by faith. Verse 10, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples? Talking about these new Gentile disciples. Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? I mean, they couldn't do it. How we expect the Gentiles to do it? We couldn't, do, we couldn't even do it ourselves. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. By grace, by faith, not by works. So what did Peter say here was this yoke around, he didn't want to put this yoke on the Gentile believers. What was the yoke? What was he, what was he, what was he describing there? The law of Moses and circumcision, right? You can go, if you're not sure about it, go back and read it. I promise it's all there. Read the whole chapter. So after this council met, they had this big discussion, much debate. After Peter stood up and said this, they're just like, yeah, you're right. He did speak in uh, Acts 2, and he did speak to Cornelius' family, and all of them get saved. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It clearly proved that God received them as, as believers. He's, Who are we to say these things? So after they came to a conclusion, I'll read part. They wrote this letter that's sent out to the people. And I'll read part of this letter to you. It says, uh, Therefore I, James, judge that we should, this is Acts 15, 19, 20. I, this is James talking about judge, that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. So that was the, five, that was the four laws boiled down to that uh, that they were going to give to the Gentiles, those four things. So they sent this letter out called the, uh, the Jerusalem Decree. They sent this letter out by Paul, Barnabas, Silas, and Judas to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and uh, Cilicia. And they shared the decision that they made about circumcision and the law of Moses. And I'll share this other version uh, with you from Acts 15. It's a little more clear. Actually, Acts 21. We'll skip down to Acts 21, 25. As the Gentiles believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food strangled to idols, from blood, uh, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. So for Gentile, these new Gentile believers, here were their four rules they had, and they, three of them had to do with eating. Okay? Think of how many laws did they have in the Garden of Eden before the fall? That was one, right? Just don't eat from that tree. And now they're, it's back down to four here. So... The Gentiles were never intended to be under the law of Moses. You can see this. This is a decision made by Peter, James, and John, made by uh, the leader, Christian leadership of their day. They were never intended to. Religion has done this. Religion has done this. Religion is all about what we must do, what we must do to get to heaven. 
What we have to do instead of what has already been done for us so we can go to heaven or better yet have heaven come inside of us. The goal isn't just to get to heaven. The goal is to be with the Father, right? And with the Father is he's in us now. He'll be with us forever, right? It's the, if the Father wasn't in heaven, it wouldn't be heaven. Amen? It's not heaven because there's streets of gold. It's heaven because God's there. So Robert Morris said, religion is man's attempt to get to God. Christianity is God's attempt to get to you. I love that. And we've all, we've all experienced law. You're not good enough. You've got to do this and this and this. But I'm telling you, there's no place for it in your life. The law will never make you righteous before God. So Christianity is about a personal relationship with Jesus. And our relationship with God was never intended to be reduced down to a list of rules of do's and don'ts. Okay? He put his spirit to live inside you to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. There'll still be things that God won't want you to do, but it's not, it's not connected to your right stand with God. It's connected with your relationship with him or communion with him, not so much your, your righteousness. Your righteousness is a gift, okay? And those who are really righteous aren't going to want to do some of these other things anyway, which we'll go into another time. But I'm going to show you this more about the law. Let me show you a few verses uh, about the law of Moses. Paul already said it was a yoke around their necks. He said it was a burden. Let me see, show you some other things that he said. Actually, Peter said that there was a... A yoke. Paul said, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Okay? So what empowers sin? The law. If there were no laws, you couldn't break them. Right? You couldn't go to prison. You could, if there were no laws, you couldn't be charged. There was no speeding laws. You couldn't be charged for speeding. There was no... Any, but the, when the law was introduced, sin increased because the law came. All right? Galatians 3.10. It says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So everyone who relies on keeping the law of Moses for their righteousness, their salvation, they're under a curse. It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if you love Jesus. You, if you still are relying on your works to make you righteous with God, you are under a curse. Amen. It's by grace, but through faith. And everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is under a curse. And that refers to those who are relying on the law. They, they all sometimes try to reduce the law down to the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments are somewhat easy to, to do. But it didn't say if you obeyed the Ten Commandments. It said if you obey all of the law. There was 613 laws. Yeah, let's see you do it. And you know, when you, here's a way you'll know you're deceived. If you believe you can do it, you are deceived. I'll say that to anybody on the planet. Because Paul, Peter said here he couldn't do it. He said our fathers couldn't do it. And why put this yoke on there? Because they couldn't do it. You can't do it. The whole point is you can't do it. That's the point of the purpose of the law is to point you to Christ. So you can't do it and you need a Savior. So um, James 2.10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So I could have this massive picture window here. And it wouldn't matter if I shot it with a cannonball or shot it with a BB gun. Either way, I'm going to ruin that window. And the same thing is, if you stumble on one part of it, you're guilty of breaking all of it, just like the whole window's broken. You are not good enough to keep all the law. And guess what? God knew that when he made the law, and that was part of the purpose of the law, was to reveal your heart, not to reveal the Savior. Jesus came to reveal the Savior. The law came to reveal your sin. Okay? Galatians 5.4. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. People talk about people that have fallen from grace. Well, guess what? You know how you fall from grace? When you rely on yourself and rely on the law. 
Amen. Do you see it? Just look at it for a minute. You can read it. It's not in code. All right? If we are relying on our own works to save us, we have fallen from grace. I'm not, I don't believe this is saying you're not saved, but you're falling from the grace that he gave you to live out your life and to, and to walk in the things he's gave you and provided for you. So who are those who are falling from grace? Those who rely on observing the law for the righteousness. Amen? So I want to show you a few more scriptures that clearly states we're not under the law. There's a lot more. Like I said uh, a few weeks ago, there's probably 30 or 40 that I could show you just that clearly says this. But Romans 6.14, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Do you see it? I mean, this isn't in code. I mean, this isn't a secret Da Vinci Code or the, the old finger of God, signature of God books that you had to move over 15 letters uh, 30 times, and you might spell this uh, president somebody in the written code and stuff. Whether that's good or not, I don't know. But this is, this is pretty straightforward, all right? For sin shall not be your master. Why? Because you're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. And the more you preach the law, the more you're empowering your people to sin. It's just because the sting of death is the law. The power of sin is the law, and the sting of death. The law of sin. Romans 7, 6. We have been released from what? Make sure it's there. We have been released from the law so that we may serve in a new way of the Spirit and not of the old way of the written code. Amen. You're released. I mean, really, probably close to two-thirds of the New Testament was writing about this same topic. Paul writing to the Hebrews, the book of Romans, all of Galatians, was all talking about you are not under law anymore, you're under Christ. Amen? Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law, so that now may be righteous for everyone who believes. He's the end of the law. End of it. All right. Hoping we get some amens here. Uh, it's a good thing. If you don't know that it's good yet, I'm going to show you why it's good as we keep going. Hebrews 8.13, by calling this covenant new, he made the first one obsolete. Okay? The law has nothing to do with your right standing with God. Has nothing to do with your right standing with God. Nothing. That wasn't the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to reveal your sin, not to reveal your Savior. Jesus has everything to do with your, your righteousness. Everything to do with it. Amen? So I want to look at a few more things that Paul talks about the law. 2 Corinthians 3.9 For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So the ministry of condemnation, he's contrasting the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of righteousness. What is he talking about? The law and the new way of, of righteousness with God through faith. In verse 7, 2 Corinthians 3.7 But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones. People try to say this isn't referring to the Ten Commandments. Well, what else was written on, the sto on stone? They didn't carry around stone tablets everywhere they went. They still used paper back then, you know? Was, if, the, if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stone, was glorious so that the children of Israel could look not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which was passing away. So what is he referring to here? He's referring to the law. He, he calls it a ministry of condemnation. He called it a ministry of death. And yet, half the church, whatever percentage, only God knows the real percentage of that number, believes we're still under it when it's a ministry of death. Praise God. Because there's a better way. 
There is a better way, all right? So what was written in the grave on stones? The Ten Commandments and other things probably too, but uh, this would be either the first edition or the second edition. We don't know uh, what he's referring to here because we know Moses broke one and he came down one day uh, from the mountain after his 40-day fast, spending time with the Lord. And he came down carrying these things. I'm sure Joshua helped him carry them down too. It says they're written on both sides. So most likely there's more than 10 laws on this. And uh, we don't know what font God was using with his finger that day. But it's still, there's probably a lot of stuff written on there, which I'll share a little bit more in a minute. But he's coming down the mountain. He sees the very first two commandments that God wrote with his own finger on that rock. They're his family. His, the Israelites are breaking them. Exodus 20, 3 and 4. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under, under the earth. So Moses saw them. They made this golden calf. They're bowing down. They're worshiping, saying this golden calf brought them out of Egypt. This is what freed them from bondage was this golden calf. They just made it, danced out of the fire, as Aaron tried to say. Like, okay, whatever, dude. We know you made that. Like, you... You did that. So anyway, Moses was angry. He definitely had a temper problem, as we know. He killed somebody, and, and uh, other times showed he had anger issues. And he got angry here, and he threw those Ten Commandments, and he smashed them, broke them. And then he melted that golden calf down to, and crushed it into powder, put it into the water, and made them drink it. Now, how, who wants to sign up to be under the law right now? That, and it's not even that bad yet. Then Moses tells the Levites, get your swords. And go out among your brothers. I want you to kill all those who are worshiping and worshiping, bow down, bowing down to that idol. And they had to kill 3,000 of their own brothers and sisters that day. The Levites did with swords. That's under the law. Okay? There, were no, there was no forgiveness for these things. There was no mercy for these things. It was a ministry of death. You did these things and you died. Okay? People try to water it down to something different. But this is what the Bible says. It was a ministry of death and condemnation. So I want to show you a few more reasons why it was called the ministry of death. Um, and after the Ten Commandments were spoken in Exodus 20, God continued to speak more laws for four chapters from Exodus 20 to 24. And he, he said, this, you can see this in uh, verse 12 of chapter 24. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you the tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written, which you may teach them. So the Ten Commandments started in chapter 20. God's saying, come up and get them in chapter 24. So in four chapters, he's given a whole bunch more laws. Laws concerning slaves, laws concerning violence, animal control, personal property, moral and ceremonial laws, laws concerning justice, laws concerning the Sabbath, and laws concerning the feasts. It's possible that all of those written on the Ten Commandments because written on both sides. Maybe it was just the Ten Commandments. We don't know. But for four chapters, he, said, he says he was writing these things. Now, um, there were serious consequences for breaking these laws. Serious consequences. Let me show you some of these. Exodus 21, 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. So if you hit somebody, you punch somebody in the face, and they fell and hit their head on a rock or something, they died, guess what? You're going to die too. Uh, Exodus 21, 15. And he who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Verse 16, he who kidnaps a man and sells him or is found in his hand shall surely be put to death. He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now, um, we've only read four so far, but I'm thinking we might have wiped out maybe half the population of our church right 
already, maybe more. I know I'd be dead for sure. I know I definitely said some things. Sorry, Mom, if you're watching. Said some things to my parents that were definitely not blessing them. Uh, it was very disrespectful in, at times when I was younger. Um, but then guess what? There was no mercy for it. If I did it, I was dead. If I sassed them, rebuked, if, I was, if you're a rebellious child, you got one, you got one warning. And after that, the next time, the whole community took you out and they stoned you and killed you. Didn't matter if the mother and father were crying, you were, you were dead. That's how it was. Uh, 21, verse 23, 25. And if any harm follows, you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe. Who's, sign, who's wanting to sign up? You see, the, the religion has made the law look good. When God in the Bible never tried to make the law look good. He said he found fault in it. The Bible says he found fault in it. That's why he sought to establish another one. There's another one here, 29. I'll just paraphrase it for you. If you have an ox or bull, and you knew this ox was wild, and it might uh, bore somebody, it might hit him and hurt him. If you knew about it, and you didn't have him tied up good enough, uh, they'd kill the, boar, they'd kill the animal, and the next they'd kill you too. Uh, verse 18, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Verse 19, whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. He who sacrificed to any god except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. I'm uh, not sure how many we have left in the room that would still be alive. I don't know, especially on the last one there, um, with our idols and things that we love sometimes. Also, another example of ministry of death. When a man was gathering sticks on the Sabbath to build a fire, he may have done that a thousand times in each, we don't know, before the law. He may have done that who knows how many times. But here this day, he did on the Sabbath, and he was put to death. Uh, Yuza touched the cart, the Ark of the Covenant, when the was falling off the cart, he reached out to touch it, try to help protect it, and he died. He was put to death. The 70 men from Beth Shemesh looked inside the Ark of the Covenant, and they died. Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abahu, who were priests, offered unauthorized fire to the Lord, and they were dead. They were killed. That's why Paul called this the law or ministry of death. That's what it was for. It would, if you sinned, the, the wages of your sin was death. But the gift. And somehow we put those verses together so closely. The wages of sin was death. There was no mercy. If you, if you did something wrong to your father, your mother, or something wrong to somebody in this way, you were going to die. And there was no mercy for anybody. It didn't matter who cried, who, who bribed who, you were going to die. So, now why in the world would anyone want to be under a covenant like that? And, you know, people today in the church, they fight and they argue over these things and say, yes, you don't know what you're talking about, you're saying we're not in the law. And when the law is not to save us. The law is to show us we need to be saved. We need a Savior. We're messed up. We need help. We need God. Only God can help us. Amen. So a mixture of the law and grace is not the gospel. It's, it isn't the good news. It isn't why Jesus came to say, okay, now I'm going to give you a little bit of this and a little bit of this, mix them together, and that's going to be the new message. That's not the gospel. That's not the New Testament. Romans 7, 6 says, We've been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not of the old way of the written code. You've been released from the law to serve God in a new way. It's now the new way is through the Holy Spirit, through the gifts of God. That's eternal life through Christ. Amen. You don't need to mix them. God, through the Holy Spirit, can govern your heart 
to do things the law could never empower you to do. The law was never empowering. The law was killing. The Spirit of God is empowering. The grace of God is empowering. The grace of God is enable you to do righteous things. It's the power of God unto salvation. That is the gospel. It's, it's the power of God unto your salvation. It saves you. The Bible says the, the, the law has no power to save you from sexual immorality or perversions or things. You're, it has no power to change your heart because it was not meant to do that. It had the power to reveal your heart. Only Christ has the power to change your heart. Amen? So I mentioned earlier how the Old Testament saints were saved, and I'll close with this. Uh, Adam, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, those guys. Uh, remember, there were no laws in their days. But I don't believe because there were no laws, all of them went to hell, right? Right? They, were, they must have been, had right stand with God some way. So we're going to look at that. Uh, the first one we'll look at is Abel. Now, there isn't a verse for every single person in the Old Testament, but you definitely can clearly see a pattern, okay? First one we'll see is Abel. Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. How was he righteous? By faith. Do you see it? Enoch. 11, he was 11.5. By faith, Enoch was taken from his life, from this life, so he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Enoch pleased God. Now the very next verse says, It is impossible to please God without faith, because he who believes that he exists, and that he must believe he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if Enoch pleased God, and it is impossible to please God without faith, he must have pleased God with his faith. And therefore he became righteous by faith. So how about Noah? Hebrews 11.7 by faith, Noah, when warned about these things uh, not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah inherited righteousness by faith. Last one, Abraham. Romans 4, 1 through 3. What shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works or by doing good things, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him or credited him for righteousness. He believed what God said, and God said, you're righteous. Amen. And the same thing is true for us today. We are righteous by faith in what Jesus did. They were looking forward to a future day, a coming Messiah. We're looking back to the Messiah who's already came, and we're saved the same way they're saved today, by righteousness, by faith in what our Messiah did and was going to do for them and what has done for us. It's, it's, there's only one way. No one will be declared righteous uh, by observing the law. It wasn't the purpose, purpose of the law. We become conscious of our sin through the law. The purpose of Jesus' coming was to save us from our sin, to save us from uh, hell. So um, these saints were all righteous by faith, just like also mentioned Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, uh, Elijah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all those listed in Hebrews 11. There's a bunch of names there, listed there. They all were listed in the famous faith chapter of Hebrews 11 because they were righteous by faith. Guys, you are not under the law anymore. You're under grace. And God found fault with the first covenant, set out to establish another one, and that other one is now you're righteous by faith in what Jesus did for you. 
You're now sons and daughters of God because of Jesus. And you have to believe to become righteous. You believe and you receive the free gift of righteousness, not by your works. Now, he has works prepared in advance for you to do, but those works won't save you. Those works will be a fruit of your labor from being saved, from being transformed on the inside out. So uh, let me read Galatians 3, 7 and 9. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all nations shall be blessed. For then those who are of faith are blessed by believing Abraham. Best with believing Abraham. Summarize it down for you. You're saved by faith in Jesus. The gospel is preached in advance to Abraham. And is the good news of your salvation. And the good news is it's not mixed with works. It's not mixed with law. It's Jesus and Jesus only. It's Christ alone we're saved. In Christ, through Christ, for Christ. Amen. So um, the law wasn't given to make you righteous. Jesus was given to make you righteous. The gift of Christ. Amen. The purpose of the law was to expose our sin and our need for Savior, not to save you. Amen. So I wanted to just share with you. We'll have other ones to show this from different angles and show you that what I'm telling you. But I'm telling you, if you believe this and you receive this, you will grow more accidentally spiritually than you ever did when you tried so hard. When you fell, you fell short and you're like, well, I just need to suck it up. I just need to try harder. I just need to memorize more verses. I just need to pray more. I just need to fast more. I just need to do this more, give more, tithe more. Do the, I got to do this stuff because I have to do these things or else I'm doomed to hell. And you get this a whirlwind of emotions going on inside of us, and it's not going to make you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. What caused you to grow is resting in what he already did, resting in the finished work of Jesus. I'm telling you, I grew more accidentally than all the years I studied and tried and labored, and I mean, those things still benefit me later would help me remember verses and stuff, but I grew more accidentally by not trying as hard than I ever did when I was under the law. And I sinned a whole lot less. I didn't think about some of the stuff. I was tr- I'm trying not to think about these things. The more I tried not to think about these things, instead of thinking on these things, it made me, it was even worse. I'm frustrating the grace of God. And guys, in your own life, you have to come to a crossroads where your salvation is by grace and by, through faith in what Jesus did for you. It really doesn't matter. I mean, God wants you to do good things, of course. But no matter how many good things you did, if Paul was relying on his good things, he was, he'd be in hell today. Because only through Christ we're saved. It's only through him. Amen? I'm going to pray and bless you guys. Then we're going to call the, I almost said Brazil team, but the Uganda team up here. And you guys, want you pray over us and send us as we go. But we guys stand. I, I know I went through a lot of verses, and I know I usually go fast because I get excited and stuff. Uh, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to sink some of those things in your heart. But uh, you Gentiles, I don't, Grayland's not here, so we don't have any Jews here that I know of. You're Jewish? Okay. Partial Jewish? Or, all right, we have one. But even you too, you will never be justified by observing the law. Or through the law, become conscious of our sin. And Gentiles, you are never, ever instructed to be under the law. Not once. There is not one scripture for it. Religion did that. Man did that to control and manipulate the people. But it's not what God did. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. A lot of those freedom verses are talking about freedom from the law. If you go back and look at it, it's the context. It's your freedom from the law. You're free from, it called a curse and bondage and a yoke and all those things. He who the Son set free is free indeed. So God, I just bless your children right now. 
I pray these yokes of bondage will lift off if anyone's carrying them, be broken off their necks, removed from off their backs. You have made them righteous. You became sin who knew no sin so we could become or inherit the righteousness of God. It is a gift of God, not by works so anyone should boast. So Father, we receive your free gift of grace. Thank you for it. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to stop trying to earn something that you already paid for. Yes, Lord. Even right now, we'd stop trying to earn something that you've already paid for. This affects how you pray. When you're believing for healing or a breakthrough, you say, well, I'm not good enough or I didn't do this good enough. No, you're saved by grace through faith. Grace through faith. It's Jesus is good enough for you. Yes, Lord. So God, I just bless your children today. I thank you, Lord. Signs follow the preaching of the word and ask you for breakthrough and liberation for people today that their joy may be full, that you really do love us that much and you trust the work of the Holy Spirit that much to govern our hearts and to help us make good decisions and choices with our lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen.